Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. Today we are privileged to have a guest speaker. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Good to see you guys. Huge shout out, huge welcome to those who join us at our Garner location, as well as all those beautiful ladies over at NCCIW, as well as our virtual community via iCampus and our television ministry. Welcome, 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 welcome to you guys. I'm excited to be here. Y'all doing all right? Good, good, very cool. Well, as you know, if you've been around this summer and, 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 and had the opportunity to be here, um, there, there are two things that I always like to do anytime I step foot on this stage. One, uh, just say how honored I am at the opportunity uh, to teach on main stage and big church. Um, I'm the student pastor, so I get to hang out with middle school and high school students. And so naturally, I got to give a shout out to my people. So any middle school students, high school students, or parents, are you in the house today? There we go. Welcome, welcome. Excited that you guys are here and very excited for this morning as we continue on in our Unlikely Hero series, part five. So we're going for it today. And like Pastor Full said, we have a very special message from Pastor Benji coming up later on today. Um, But here's a question for you guys. How many of you in here like movies? Absolutely. Anyone not like movies? I was like, woo, kind of, oh, oh, I'm the only one, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's cool. You can be here, right? I, 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 I dig movies, and pretty much all movies, and I kind of feel like I'm growing up a little bit because I'm starting to kind of dig, like, the inspirational type of movies, not like the random slapstick comedy that I normally kind of lean towards, but, like, the inspirational movies, like, I'm talking the movies where, like, the geek who is picked on, like, becomes a champion, or the girl who is completely overlooked, she becomes the beauty queen, Or how about the kid with the handicap who climbs the mountain? Now, for me, like, sometimes I kind of feel like that person. Now, I know some people would beg to differ, but I think that I'm fully capable. But I have never climbed a mountain. And I've never become the champion. And come to think of it, I only made it to that second round of that beauty queen competition last year. And so that just kind of gets scraped off the board right there, right? But sometimes... Sometimes I feel that maybe I'm not as insightful as some people. Maybe I'm not as profound. And chances are, as you sit wherever you sit today, there's something in you that looks around at other people and says someone, maybe everyone, is better at that than you are. You ever feel that way? So where we're going today is I actually heard it put in the lyrics of a song this one time, and it says this. Life is for the beautiful and the strong. Life is for the beautiful and the strong. And when we walk around in our lives, in our world, and kind of do our thing, sometimes we kind of really do feel like maybe life really only is for the beautiful and the strong. I mean, these stories about unlikely people, people that you would not expect doing these huge things, it almost feels a little bit mythic kind of like a good plot in a movie or a great plot in a book, but not real life. So what is it about these people that causes them to almost be catapulted into a greater position than where they started? And when it comes to following God, we hear stories upon stories about people who are used by God, these people who see God work in their lives in these massive, incredible ways. I mean, that's the reason why we're spending six weeks on this Unlikely Hero series. And what would be so easy 
would be for me to walk up these stairs and stand in front of all of you guys today and say, hey, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And then I would pray, and Pastor Fuller and the band, they would come out and play this really like powerful and emotional song, and everyone would cry and hug, and we'd all go home feeling really fuzzy inside. That would be super easy. But the reality is, is that when some of us, myself included, the thought of God wanting to use me, the, God, the thought of God wanting to use you, that just sounds a little too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, that should be an exhilarating thought. I mean, sit in this for a second. The creator of the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing architect of it all wants to use your life. Marinate in that for a second. I mean, that is intense. But here's the truth. Y'all ready? God does not need you. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me, but he wants you. He wants me. See, it's crazy. God doesn't have to invite people into what he's doing. But for some reason, he does. And it's not like he's only sending invitations out to the beautiful and the strong. He doesn't just invite the beautiful and the strong to take part in the work that he's doing. He invites every single one of us, even those of us who see ourselves as far less from strong and worlds away from beautiful. If you've ever thought anything along the lines that God can't use you for whatever reason that you have in your head right now, I have good news and I have bad news. I always kind of like to get the bad news over first, kind of just like rip the Band-Aid off, hair, scab, all that, just whoosh, right? Just rip it off. Just get it over with. So here we go. Bad news. Even with enough praying, even with enough begging, even with enough scripture memorization and Bible reading, God will not just fit you into the mold of who you think a hero is. He won't. But here's the good news. Y'all ready for this? God doesn't have to fit you into that mold in order to use you. You don't have to be any certain way to be a candidate to save the day. See, I think the kind of theme of this whole series has surely been that God doesn't work the way that you or I would if we were in charge. God is not like us. But here's something I think that we all need to hear. Something I think we all need to hear is the fact that there are no parameters, zero parameters on who God employs. There are no parameters on who God employs. Talent influence, knowledge, popularity, family, they don't restrict him. Why? Y'all ready for some deep theology? Right here, you gotta be like really, really deep for this one. God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. God can do whatever he wants to do. He is God. But here's the thing, don't just take my word for it. I mean, if you've been here, a part of this series, you know that the Bible is full of examples that God has used, people that God has used to do these great heroic things. People who just kind of came and stepped into their position as a potential and an unlikely person that God had his hand on, that went on to do some incredible things. So this morning, we're diving into the Old Testament 
And like Pastor Fuller said, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Derek over at Garner uh, stepped into my office this week and said, hey, you know what? What's kind of interesting here is that every single hero that we've gone to has been the Old Testament with one exception, which was Pastor Chad last week. And if y'all are here, you know what kind of went down last week, right? And if you don't know what went down, it's like, all right, message received. Like, I'm going Old Testament today. And so if you don't know what went down, ask your neighbor because no potty talks allowed from the stage. So holding with that for a little bit, all right? So we're going Old Testament today, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2, go ahead and start opening up to there because our unlikely hero today isn't even a hero in the exact definition of the word, Today, we're going to kind of rebrand the series just for this morning, and we're going to be talking about an unlikely heroine. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Rahab, and I could tell you one simple thing about Rahab that would completely help you to understand why this woman was definitely unlikely. See, the Old Testament actually tells us how God worked through a prostitute. Some of you are just now joining us. Welcome to the conversation. Yes, you heard me, a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. And God used her to both protect the Israelite spies to claim this city as a part of the land that God has promised them, as well as saving her entire family. Like I said, it's in Joshua chapter 2. That's where we're going today. And we are starting right at Joshua 2, verse 1. It says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. That's not a cuss word, don't worry. He said, there we go. He said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. All right. Let's kind of all understand the elephant in the room here, right? Some of y'all are thinking like, all right, why are these guys like, oh, well, I guess we got to go spy on the, on, on the land, so let's stay with the prostitute, right? Like that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But there's reasoning. There is reason. Let me kind of give it to you. Rahab lived on the north side of town, the slums. And here's the thing. If you want to go somewhere where people aren't going to ask you a whole lot of questions, if you want to go somewhere unnoticed, If you want to go somewhere and completely slip under the radar, the slums are the place to go. Back in Joshua 2, verse 2 says this, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Here's a very quick side note for all of us. See, what's crazy is like I just said, Rahab is a prostitute. She had men coming in and out of her home all day, every day, multiple times, back and forth. It's like this revolving door of these men going in and out of her home. So as we read this verse, why was someone telling the king, look, some Israelites are here? I mean, why in the world would they think anything differently of these two men as opposed to every other man that walked through Rahab's doors? My theory, people of God look different. God's people look different. And I think what's kind of crazy is that that's what happened. I mean, people took notice that there was something fishy, something different about these two men walking through Rahab's doors, so they went and told the king. I think we've kind of lost that a little bit nowadays. People of God look different back then, and I kind of wonder, do people of God look different today? Do people look at us and say, hmm, something different about them? Food for thought. Just kind of a side note. Let's keep going. Joshua 2, 3. 
So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So here's the king, the king who is in charge of everything that Rahab has ever seen, everything that Rahab has ever known. I mean, this guy has the power to take Rahab's life or has the power to spare her life. This powerful man confronts her to send out these two spies from her home. And if you want to read on for yourself at some other point, you'll actually see for yourself that she lies straight to his face and says, sends his men on this wild goose chase while these two Israelite spies are hanging out, hiding on her roof. See, Rahab was willing to hide them. She was willing to offer the spies a safe place to stay, to give them protection in her home. I mean, she helped Israel accomplish what they had set out to do, what God had called them to do, while risking her own life in the process. The story goes on, and some of you guys know it well, but what happened is that the Israelites win. God tells the Israelites, all right, go ahead and march around this city seven times. On the seventh time, blow your horn, and the walls will fall down. The city is yours. And what's crazy is that is exactly what happened. That's exactly what went down. I mean, if you know this story, if you kind of understand what happened here, you have to know that this is an incredibly powerful story of God showing up in immeasurable, miraculous ways. It's a story that reminds every single one of us to have courage. It's a story that reminds us that God is in control and we are not. It's a story reminding us of God's deep faithfulness, this God that we serve. And you want to know who the star of the story is? A prostitute. A prostitute who needed saving herself. I mean, Rahab is smack dab in the middle of the story of Jericho. And through this whole experience, Rahab came to know the living God. But here's what I think is even a little crazier. God knows exactly how you think. God knows exactly how I think. I mean, he knows that people like us, we would be very quick to discount someone like Rahab because of her life and because of her choices. So do you know what God does? I mean, he goes to some pretty hardcore measures to make sure that we understand, that we wrap our heads around how powerful and creative he is. God includes Rahab, the prostitute, the probable homewrecker, this woman where every derogatory term in the book could be used to describe her. And what does God do? He includes Rahab in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Lineage is huge. I mean, we're talking the family tree of the Savior of the world. I mean, you and I, we kind of get the pride that we take in, in lineage and family trees. I mean, some of us, we would totally freak out if our 13th cousin was a stepnephew of like Jenny Craig or something like that, you know? Or even how about like we all have that one family member that we're like, I don't want people to know that I'm related to them. Right, we all have that like weird family member. Raise your hand if you got one. You can own it. Even if they're here, they don't have to know that it's them. Right? Some of you guys are like, oh man, like I just don't know. I just don't know. Let me tell you, you are it. You're the weird family member. Let's just own that. Let's put it out there. We all got our quirks, right? But you're the weird family member. Don't shoot the messenger. That's what happens. But here it is. I mean, lineage. 
It's big. And Matthew includes Rahab in his gospel. You can look, look it up. It's Matthew 2.5. You'll see her name right there. Rahab wasn't even an Israelite. Rahab slept with men for money. And God stepped in to the most unlikely of stories, letting the whole world know that while Rahab may have counted herself out, while everyone else may have counted herself out because of her dirty past, God counted her in. And he used her and her story and her faith to show what he's capable of. See, for me, I think the biggest takeaway that I can get from this story is that this story tells me that God is not attracted to people's abilities. And God is not distracted by people's inabilities. See, the point is, as we've kind of unpacked over the last five weeks and we'll continue to do next week, is that the entire Bible is full of stories about people that God uses real people, average people, messed up people, people with ordinary capabilities, people with regular problems, people with baggage, people with bad breath, people with cellulite, people with zits. God used them, people with shady past, people have made bad choices. I mean, people who are far from the most likely candidate, these are the people that we've seen that God has kind of honed in on. See, in spite of what people have, And in spite of what people don't have, God doesn't see it as a roadblock to accomplishing his purposes. Instead, he sees an instrument, capable, and most importantly, willing to be used for something bigger than they could ever do on their own. Throughout this entire series has come down to the willingness to be used that these heroes had. See, when it comes to being used by God, he's not limited by our fear. He's not limited by our failures. He wants every single one of us to step up and take our rightful place to be a part of what he's doing in people's life, both on a worldly global scale, as well as in the small, everyday, mundane moments. Just very briefly, I want to just jump ahead for a moment, and then I'm going to come back to Rahab. See, thankfully, the Apostle Paul kind of anticipated our hesitation with this. And so look at what he says. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You don't have to turn, I'm just going to read it very quickly. It'll be on the side screens. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, it's actually so important, it's imperative when reading this to kind of note the kind of person that Paul was. I mean, talk about unlikely hero. Paul was an unlikely hero. You and I, you might see him as this spiritual giant, having written most of the New Testament and having been the catalyst to bringing the gospel outside the Jewish faith. But before Paul was any of that, Paul was responsible for the persecution and the imprisonment and the death of Christians. Before Paul started to follow Jesus himself, Paul did everything in his power, everything he could to annihilate the spread of Christianity. Would you imagine that Paul maybe felt a little guilty? Paul maybe struggled with the idea of thinking that he wasn't worthy to be used by God because of what he had done. I would guarantee you that he did because you do it and I do it. And at some point, 
Somewhere along the way, Paul kind of wrapped his head around this whole idea from this verse that I just read. At some point, Paul got it. At some point, he understood what he wrote to the Ephesians. He began to see himself as God's workmanship. And he tells us, you and me, that we have got to do the same. The word that Paul uses here is kind of an interesting one, workmanship. You don't, I don't hear that a whole lot. But what's crazy is that if you look back at the original Greek that it was written in, Paul used this word workmanship to describe us, but the original Greek word is poeme. Poeme. And that's the exact same word that you and I get the English word poem. So now that we kind of understand that, now that we have a different vantage point, consider what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you're not just God's little fix-it-up project. You are God's poetry, his masterpiece, his work of art. And this is so important for us to get because there are days that I don't feel like a masterpiece. There are days that you probably don't feel like a masterpiece or that you're able to be used or that you can be anything close to heroic. There are days that you don't think that way. There are days that we don't act that way. But here's what we've got to know. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of the mistakes that you and I can sometimes make, you and I, we are God's masterpiece. And knowing that, believing that, internalizing that to be true about your life, in your world, in your situation, and the same with me, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we think, what that means is that we have to do something about it. Even though we feel less like a masterpiece, you are one. Even though you feel less than heroic, you can be. And as God's masterpiece, you were created to do good works. You were created by God to be the hero, to do something. I mean, God purposely created you exactly as you are so that you could do good works. Because God says that you're valuable. Because God says that you're priceless. Because he wants to use you and your story for big, heroic things. I mean, God is in the business of raising up heroes out of the most broken people. And not only is he in the business of raising up heroes from broken people, he's also in the business of raising up heroes out of people that just feel purposeless, who just feel directionless, who just feel like they have nothing special to offer. So wherever you find yourself, whether totally messed up in a situation that you never thought that you would ever be in, or you just find yourself blending into the background where no one notices you, you need to hear that God has made you his workmanship, his poetry, his work of art. God sees you as an individual with heroic potential. So back to Rahab. I mean, all of us, we're sinners. We need rescue, just like Rahab. And if you can kind of understand, I mean, Rahab was the least of the least. She lived in the back of the city, in the slums. Her family didn't care about her. No one cared about what she did or how she lived her life or what she, whatever. No one cared. But all the while, God is saying, hold up. I do care. And Rahab's like, whoa, 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 God, like, I'm a dog, God, you can't use me. I've been used by almost every man in this village. 
God, you can't use me. I'm broken. I'm trash. I'm nothing. And God says, Rahab, you are wrong. And through you and your life and your faith, your great, 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 great grandson will be the savior of the world. I think that the story of Rahab is one of the most redemptive, heroic, and powerful stories in the Bible. I mean, what's crazy is that the same God that did all those things in Rahab's life, it's your God. That same God is my God. And as Rahab actually sends the spies off, she goes to them and says, hey, I know exactly what's going to happen when you come back here again. Can you spare me? Can you spare my family from the destruction that you and your God are going to bring here? And the spies look her in the eyes and say, yes, Rahab, go ahead and tie this scarlet cord to your window. And that'll let the whole world know that everyone inside of your house will be safe. See, church, I don't know what it's going to look like for you. I have no idea where you'll go from here, but I do know that you were created by God to be used. You have everything you need. God fashioned you. He created you. He made you. And God makes beautiful things. I mean, we have got to start changing our mindset, stop seeing ourselves as less than, and start seeing ourselves as how God has called us to be, to be used to accomplish these acts of heroism that only he could have ever dreamed up. I mean, we're talking about the God who is the redeemer of our past and present wrongs. We're talking about the God who's the holder of our future days to come. And this God, that God, my God, your God, is the same God who's in the business of making heroes today. I think the visual, as I was reading the story and kind of unpacking it, the visual of a scarlet cord is powerful. This red rope. See, Rahab was instructed to just hang it out her window. And what that would do is it would spare her and everyone else that she brought into her home that day, which ended up being her family. What's incredible is that all you and I have to do is open up the Bible to the most random story in the world to just get a glimpse of what God is able to do. Just to get a glimpse of who God is and what he's capable of. I mean, how cool is that? And as I close, there are really two things that for me really kind of stand out about this story that I really feel that God would have for us. The first one is that this just shows us that you and I and everyone, we're on level ground. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. We all have common ground. We are sinners. We need rescue. But the second part is really while we all need rescue, we're kind of all over the spectrum in this. I mean, some of us, we sit here and we're like the spies, we're faithful, and we say, God, whatever you have, I'll do it. Just tell me how. We know God. We know Jesus. We've been rescued. But while that may be true, I guarantee you that every single one of us know people who need rescuing, know people that need God to show up. They need a scarlet cord tied in their window to say, look, I'm here. I'm still alive. Rescue me. I'm not forgotten. I need a purpose. Others of us, we've never really walked 
with the living God. And maybe you've kind of heard of them, you've been coming to church, but it's just like an epic tale, but not real life. See, Jesus Christ walked the earth so that in his suffering, through his sacrifice, you and I, exactly like Rahab in Matthew 2, Matthew 2, 5, could be written into the story of God. It's through his blood that covers us. It's through his sacrifice that we are rescued. And maybe you've never said, God, I am yours and you are mine. Jesus, I need you. Rescue me. See, the Bible is incredibly clear, and it says that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But that means that you and I, we have to make a decision. See, Rahab could have so easily spared the lives of the spies. She could have hidden them on her roof, no problem. She could have still sent the king's men off in a completely different direction. But if Rahab had not made the decision to tie that scarlet cord on her window, she would have been destroyed along with everyone else in that city. She made the decision. And your calling on God, my calling on God to rescue us, to save us, is us just simply tying up the scarlet cord to say, Jesus, I'm here, I'm not, I'm purposeless, save me, rescue me. Give me a reason. I don't know where you fall today, but I do know today that you have the opportunity to step up into a heroic role. You just have to make a decision. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this incredible lesson through a prostitute, God. That through her faithfulness, through her willingness, God, she was able to show the world exactly what you're capable of. God, as we sit here today and maybe we have someone playing in our head who doesn't know you that we're able to, to help show this, this scarlet cord to, God, I ask for an opportunity. I ask for courage. God, other people in here just feel like they blend in the background. They feel worthless. They feel broken. But God, that's just because you haven't rescued them yet. God, all they need to do is accept you. God, I praise you for your truth. I praise you for your mercy. I praise you for your love and your blood that covers us. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you have asked every single one of us to step into your story. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in your holy, perfect name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.